0: Cast, Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Moerder, and our podcast mama. This is Gabrielle Bourne today, and we have the team mascot Bentley's at the table as well. We have a special Memorial Day edition of the mailbag or the sandbag, whatever you want to call it. And as always, our podcast mama will be reading the questions.
1: Yes, I will. Uh, okay, we're going to start it off today with a little trivia question for you listeners. Um, For our next uh, Wilson giveaway, the winner of this will get a new Wilson Volleyball. Um, The question is, what is the longest-running open-level beach volleyball tournament in the world? Uh, Follow-up question, how many years? You can email your answers to sandcastpodcast at gmail.com. And the winner will be receiving a new Wilson Volleyball. Okay, this question is from Francis Padre. His question is, he said he listened to Jose Loyola's episode and was surprised to hear that they had an AVP at MSG. If you could play in an AVP at any sports stadium in the USA, where would you play? The Coliseum, MSG, Staples Center, Lambeau Field, Cowboy Stadium? The choice is yours.
0: I wish it wasn't limited to the u.s because when he said the coliseum i almost wanted to say let's play in like the the rome coliseum (laughs) yeah that would be sick
2: hell yeah
0: i don't know we'll try well you've played in a lot of different venues aside from the hypotheticals like what's been your favorite so far just to i'm using this to buy time while Mm -hmm. i think of the answer (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) i'm thinking it's always about like the atmosphere and what's on the line you know So, like, my first Manhattan Beach Open final was amazing. They actually, the stands were pretty packed. I don't know how many it fit, but it was packed. Standing room only on the sand. Every seat was filled. And then there's a lot on the line, so that's why that one was huge. The other one is um, World Champs in the Netherlands was really cool. It's just a cool venue, and, and they had it really intimate and, like, boxed in. There was, like, covers over the the stands on three sides so the um like the volume was crazy and we were playing against the home team so that was rad i think the louder the better in terms of like a cool atmosphere but i mean if i could fill any stadium assuming that we fill it i'm i'm thinking about the the new viking stadium that they just built i heard that thing is rad and and i saw the fans going crazy after uh, the Vikings won that huge game this year. I would probably go for the Vikings stadium since I'm a huge Vikings fan. Yeah,
0: that company that built that is getting hired everywhere now to All build because they. So what they did with the with the Vikings was that they sort of planted a couple people in Minnesota for like three months to get a feel for the city and its culture, and they model it after kind of like the people there. What? Yeah. So like, if you like, for example, like if they were hired to build Green Bay Stadium, it wouldn't be this ritzy thing. right? right? It'd be just I more see. like down there. So they match it to the demographic, which is Whoa. pretty cool, which is what they did with Minnesota. And they steeped it in tradition and stuff too. So it's modeled after like a Viking ship in a way. Yeah, yeah. But also like, but everything inside of it matches well with the culture, which um, is really, really cool. That's cool because I have a lot of family
2: out there. So hence why I'm a Vikings fan. So yeah. it's built for my family. Thank you.
0: If I if I had to pick a stadium, my first instinct is to say Camden Yards, where the Baltimore Orioles play, just because that's hometown and it's one of the coolest baseball stadiums. I'm way biased about it, but yeah. I would I would go there. But if I had to like think of a place, if we could kind of build a stadium, it would be so. The University of Maryland has this; uh, it's called the Mall, but it's just this huge like grassy area that's probably about 400 yards long and maybe 200 yards wide and it's in the middle of the campus and it's surrounded by like like the prettiest buildings and if you could just kind of build a stadium with that as the background it's awesome that'd Sounds be right so i, I picked two places that i'm way biased towards but maryland is like my <laughs> yeah, favorite it'll do it'll do <laughs>
1: Um, I have a question from Jeff Dittman. He wants to know who you guys would say is the best US player, not Phil, in the last 10 years.
2: Thank you for taking Phil out. Glory. <laughs> <laughs> <Boring. laughs> best player in the last 10 years. So that goes back to Beijing Olympics,
0: oh, wait. Are we limited to men?
1: Uh, he was asking about men, but okay. maybe we can say for both each. sides. Okay,
0: we'll do one of each. My, I would have to go with Jake Gibb. You just—he's so solid, and I feel like in any other era when he wasn't <laughs> surrounded by Phil, that he would be regarded like Phil is now as this like almost guy. Because like Jake's been to three Olympics, he's been—he's finished a couple seasons number one in the world. Like he wins every year. Mm-hmm. Like the. Not many people in any sport can maintain the type of consistency he has. And I feel like he gets almost forgotten about like yeah. so much because Jake isn't some loud, boisterous guy, like he's not dancing around the court and he's not, you know, he's not Phil where he's not like bouncing over the pier every other swing. Right. Um, he just gets the job done. So I would go with Jake.
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. It has to be Jake. If you look at what anyone else has done, the other guys would be like hiding it's up there. Hiding Raji fell off too quick. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's for sure, Jacob. Yeah, Nick Lucena has been grinding for years, and a lot of people don't really remember how Nick's been kind of at the back of the national team and and, like, scratching for victories his whole career until basically the last five years. I think he got his first, besides that win with Phil, I think his first win was, like, against me in in uh, Huntington with Theo back in 2013 or something like that. Well, Nick won in 05 oh f- with oh. Phil. Oh, he in, in Austin. 05. Right. So since then. Right. I want to say he hadn't won since then. Like Phil took all his victories away <laughs> beat him in the finals. <laughs> so yeah. Um, for sure Jake
1: Yeah. On the women's side?
0: On the women, I it's think it has to be Perry. I think it has to be April. Now, if you, I mean, and I have some recency bias just because right. Carrie's been in and out of injuries, and and April's been winning with whoever she plays with. right You know, last year she won a couple with. <laughs> she won a couple with a, a lot of different partners. She went to. A, she got second in the world champs with Lauren Fendrick, and in the same year that she played one with Whitney Pavlik, and she played with Sarah Hughes and. Played, I think she played in China with Kelly Clays. and She gets it done no matter who she's playing with or where she's playing.
2: Yeah, and then if you match up, you know, obviously Carrie's has a even better resume, but if you match up what April's done since '08 with what Carrie's done since she fell off um, due to injuries mostly, I think April's resume is almost just as good in that amount of time besides the gold medal in 2012. Um or better, maybe, right? So, yeah, April Ross.
0: Yeah, I like for women that we, we don't need the caveat of, t- of removing one player. Yeah. For men, yeah. like the answer is so obvious, Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately.
1: Um, this is a question from Leo Keegan. Um, it's about uh, Summer and Brooks' recent split. He said Summer Ross and Brooks Sweat seemed to love to play with each other and had a good dynamic. I'm not sure if they just had the same approach to life, to preparation, but it did seem like there was never any tension on the court. Do Summer and Sarah Hughes have similar approaches to preparation and to the game?
2: No, (laughs) I don't think so. I think Summer and Brooke got along really well because that's just their personalities. They're both really easygoing. I mean, Summer's just kind of happy and bubbly all the time, no matter what, super even keel. Brooke's super even keel. She's not going to be... You know, extra fired up at times, and then extra, you know, down and in, in the dumps. Um, and they were a great team because of that. But I think Summer bought into what everyone else is buying into with Sarah Hughes is that she has a little bit of that kind of Misty May in her potentially. Um, and her sponsors are buying into it. Everyone's buying into it. And but um, when you compare, uh, if you compare Brooke and and sarah hughes it's very different playing styles sarah hughes is kind of goes about it in a very professional way and and she's very particular about um just she's just very professional i think that's kind of what it comes down to and and she's very 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 confident
0: yeah i don't i don't know summer or brooke well enough (laughs) sorry we have our, our team mascots Having a great time with a stuffed animal. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: He's I, wrestling on the floor <laughs> over there.
0: I don't know Summer or Brooke well enough to really speak on, like, the differences in their personalities and how well <laughs> Summer hey, gets hey, along hey. with Sarah. Shut up. <laughs> 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 Sorry. But, you know, I, I do know that from just from what I've seen from Summer and Sarah is that they mesh so well on the court and that they seem like on social media, like everything else, they seem to get along great and have a similar mindset towards their approaches to the game. And I know that Jose Loyola is now their coach and he was excited about the way that they both work. But I know that Sarah gets after it, you know, and Jose was always talking about that. And on our podcast, you can go back through and listen to is that how much Sarah wants every rep in practice, you know, it might as well be world champs. And that kind of work ethic and mindset is going to attract partners and when brooke hurt her shoulder i mean sarah is just the obvious call that you have to make
2: yeah it's not it's not something that brooke didn't do it's just something that sarah brings to the table it's that demeanor um and i think summer saw some serious potential success playing with a partner like that especially knowing that sarah's not even close to her potential yet or or even close to reaching her goals, which I'm assuming is Olympics and world champs and all the biggest
0: things in our sport. Um yeah, two kinda... and, and for the record, like Summer it's not like Summer just like dropped Brooke. Brooke was getting surgery on her rotator cuff. So Summer had to get a new partner. And Sarah was the obvious call, I think. Although now another Sarah, Sarah Sponsel, is probably gonna be getting some calls pretty soon too. That's true, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay, I have a question from Pismo Beach Volleyball Club. Um, We kind of touched on this a little bit uh, last mail back when we talked about Title IX, but um, she said the development of NCAA beach volleyball for the women has already produced several great women's players now playing for the USA, but what's happening on the men's side? Unless you can live in Southern California and be part of the high-performance team, there's not much I can see that we're doing to develop men beach players at the high school or college level. Maybe that is why men's players peak so late?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely why. Um, I know USA Volleyball tries to do a decent job of spreading out their grassroots programs. Um, but yeah, that's the challenge, is is getting the young players playing at a higher level.
0: Um, and I do really know what... We do have Patty Dodd coming on Wednesday and she touches on this a fair amount and trying to build the the boys at the grassroots level and it is growing a little bit but at the end of the day I mean we just we men's indoor volleyball is I think probably always going to come first it's whatever whatever college scholarships are offered that's going to be the sport that grows and that's where men's the men's game is so we just pick up once they get out of indoor. And at the end of the day, too, if you think about just with United States culture, beach volleyball will never be bigger than football. It will never be bigger than basketball or any other baseball, probably lacrosse, too. It's just kind of the way it is. I mean, boys run around and hit each other. Right. You know, and beach volleyball kind of comes second to that, and that's just sort of a way of life. And with indoor, it's a much more physical game. It's a much more, I think, attractive game to younger boys and that beach volleyball is just sort of a natural way to fall into it after you go through that unless you do grow up on the coast
2: yep for sure and I also think you should they should be lowering nets and making courts smaller for kids because it's the kind of sport where you can't you can't play volleyball the same way you can't hit a ball down you have to hit it up and like hitting up is like not even a thing but for a kid to play it's just not fun if you're just trying to get it over the net. That's the whole point of the game, not trying to like, place it or make people move around. Um, so I think our sport can develop a little bit in that sense. Like, we can make it a little bit easier for kids to play. It's like you go watch youth basketball. They play on eight-foot rims, right? Kids should be playing on rims at the point where they jump and they can kind of hit a little bit or block. Like blocking not a thing until you're, until you're like 5'10". or like, It should be a little different
0: yeah because then you know if because my dad he would lower our hoop in the driveway right so we could learn a real shot because when you're little you know if you're eight years old and you have to shoot on a 10-foot hoop i mean you're loading up from your hip right and it's it's the it's bad like you're teaching yourself the wrong form and same with volleyball like if you're hitting shots up right you know and then you get into college and you're still hitting shots up you're going to get dug every time so you might as well bring the nets down teach them the right way to play the game and just gradually bring it up incrementally so they learn to play the game the right way. So that way when they do get to college and eventually play in an AVP qualifiers, they're ready for that. Like they've been taught the right way the whole time. They don't have to exercise any bad yeah. habits.
2: And I've always given credit to, to playing on a small court and small net, the baby court in Outrigger in, uh, Canoe Club in Hawaii, where a lot of us Hawaiians grew up playing. I've given a lot of credit to that for me learning how to block. Like I specifically remember the feeling of getting up big and over the net and then learning how to block like that because your friends are getting up big too and you're learning how to play the same way that I'm playing today, but as a kid. It kind of went all over the place, but I think we answered the question.
1: I have another question here from Leo Keegan. Um, He said there was a comment on one of the episodes about the FIVB distributing more of their prize money to lower level tournaments and that this was not good for the top set of players. Um, And he added up the money for three, four, five star events. um, And that prize money is three million per gender. And for one, two star events, the total prize money is two hundred and eighty K for women and one hundred and sixty K for men. So only about 6 to 7% of the prize money is going to the very low-level events. So what's the issue? Maybe the FIVB provides some level of funding to promoters to get their court stand set up, and that is not accounted for. He the problem understand. is
2: they're, they're providing <clears throat> more events, like way too many events. Um, so there's like a bunch of these three stars. So, for example, when I was on tour, I've been gone for... A year and a half now, or two seasons almost. A grand slam, you win it, you get fifty. Fifty six thousand dollars. Now you win a grand slam, or a, the highest level event, and that's forty two thousand or something like that, so around, around that range. Like that's a big pay cut. And think about that coming all the way down to these players that are some of the best in the world, but taking ninths. Oh, and by the way, I had eight or nine chances to go win that 56,000 where I could get a fifth and make 8,500 or even a ninth and I'd make 5,000. Now there's five, there's three five stars this year, right? So there's less opportunity to make big money. Right. Um, and then you're, you're making athletes go travel more, which is more strain on our bodies and, and more work for us to go get less, less money
0: and we were literally like just looking at the FIVB schedule and in 2017 there's 43 events and the number of one and two stars is insane but the prize money for a one star is $5,000 so if you say That's there's say there's 15 one stars like i'm not i mean no one in their right mind is going to go to china for a $5,000 tournament, I mean, for just perspective's sake, the Laguna Open is this weekend, the purse is $8,000. That's almost double an FIVB one star. So So, it's just the prize money is, yes, it's more for the bigger events, but the bigger events are so few, they're just huge. So what if you reduce the number of one and two stars, used some of that money, like say you cut them in half, and you use the money that you would be devoting to them to put on, say, a fifth and sixth, maybe even a seventh, four and five star event. Now you have more events for the top players to go to. Even these three stars aren't worth people's time, to be honest.
2: Like, right. We're going to these events to get points. That's the only reason we're going to these three stars. And obviously, when you're working your way up through the system, that's what you do. You go to the events to get points and you play the points game. But when this is your job for years on years and you're trying to provide for your money or your family and whatever, you're going to try to make money. That's, that's what our job is. So, yeah, it's the one, twos, and threes just aren't worth your time. And, and you feel kind of slighted when you're being forced to go play in
0: events just for points because it's a lot of hard work just getting there. And granted, like this is, it's the best thing to ever happen to the AVP. Right now, because we're totally. looking at, you look at the field in Austin, which was missing, I think, four or five men's teams last year, was not missing a single team this year because the incentive to travel internationally isn't there like it was last year. True. You look at the field for New York, and again, it's fully loaded, despite it clashing with another four-star event, because the incentive to travel internationally isn't as big, especially with AVP, with the Gold Series, it's, that's the equivalent of, I think it's bigger than a four-star I think a a Gold Series event is bigger than a four-star international. So why in the world would um, an American team go to China to play for less prize money when they can just go to New York and stay home and play on the AVP? So I'm not going to complain about it, (laughs) even though it kind of hurts me. I'll tell you why.
2: Sometimes we're forced to do it because we're uh, relying on that stipend we get from the national team. You have to keep your ranking. Plus... You need to keep your seating high for when you do actually get to play in these five-star events. So there's a lot of incentive for us to go to these three, three-star 3 events, four-star events, even though we'd rather be staying home and playing. So it's just it's just tough. Yeah. there's Well, you guys have more to consider than I do. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. Right. It just depends on perspective. I mean, it's great for some teams because now there's opportunity for – So many other players to go play in FIVB. It's like Travis, you could, you don't have any FIVB points, right? Yeah. Realistically, you could go play and you find someone with a few points. You could go play in a one star, two star. Yeah. That opportunity wasn't there before, but if you're the top players, you're like, yeah, but now we're not making much of a living and having to question whether we're gonna, you know, some players are having to question. All right, should I keep playing? Like, is this worth my time? And you don't want that from the top athletes in
0: your sport.
1: For sure. Um, Okay, we have time for one more question.
0: Let's check the timer. We are at 21 minutes and 35 seconds. Now we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Wilson Volleyball. The AVP season is back, hallelujah, which means, guess what? We are back to playing with Wilson Volleyballs again. And the College Girls plays with Wilson, and the CBVA plays with Wilson. The AVP plays with Wilson. There is a reason that all of the pros and those about to become pros play with Wilsons. It is the best ball in the game. It is the one the pros use and the one that you should use as well. And the good news is is that you can get 20% off by using our discount code WILSONSAND. All right, and I'll say that one more time. You can get 20% off by using our discount code WILSONSAND for 20% off of the best balls in the game. This podcast is also brought to you by Firefly Recovery. Listen, we're all athletes here for the most part, which means that we are all aching in some way or other or sore somewhere. All right, and a lot of times this is our knees, which is where Firefly Recovery comes into play, which is why I love them so much. So if you're one of those weird people who go to work every day like I do, you can strap this onto your knee while you're sitting at your desk, and it helps you recover by moving the blood around in the region. I'm not a scientist. I don't know exactly how it works. You can go to fireflyrecovery.com. They have all sorts of testimonials and information out there. But what I just want to say is that it works. Like if you're traveling on a plane to an FIVB or a Norseca or to AVP Austin or to AVP New York or Seattle or wherever it may be, use Firefly Recovery on the plane. It'll help you recover while you're sitting there on your plane ride talking to people that you probably don't want to be talking to anyway. So use Firefly Recovery to be the best athlete that you can be. And now back to the show.
1: Um, this is from Richard. He says that he read this post by the excellent Czech Marketa Slukova, and it blew my mind. Is this sort of post-match analysis the norm at the professional level? And there's a photo, which you can explain, so Travis. The, the
0: photo is this like ridiculously detailed sort of recap and stats of following a beach volleyball match. And it almost looks like the notes that I take when I do when I cover a football game. So I'll have to do a play by play and also keep live stats going as well. And it kinda looked like that. And I know that volleyball statistics are way behind, like leagues behind, say the NFL or baseball. Like for baseball, you can look up how many times a pitcher's fastball spins on its way to the plate. But like we can't even what? get digs and blocks right like last year i think bvb had billy allen with more blocks than stafford so yeah yeah. so like we're we're so far behind and i i mean i don't want to assume but i think what he's asking is that is this type of statistical analysis looking at it numerically and metrically something that's kind of becoming more prevalent in beach volleyball right and so now you know a little bit more about it than i do
2: so it exists like we have pretty good um what we call data volleyists. I think that's what we call them. Anyway, <laughs> um, there's these guys that that every indoor national team and, and most professional teams with a big enough budget, um, mostly overseas, they have a data volley guy. Uh, and college teams as well. Um, so they have a guy or girl doing code. It's full-on code for each play. And they can break every... Uh, rally down to the past set hit what hitter did it Um, and it's getting more and more detailed I know the Euros are getting super into it right now and uh, I've talked with our our new head coach of our national team um, Tyler Hildebrand and he he wants us to go in that direction a lot because he thinks that we're behind a lot of the Euro like we've we've always kind of gotten it done the American way um, but the Euros are getting a little bit ahead of us in terms of um, statistics and breaking down matches and, and using that kind of technology. So it, it exists. Um, you're just not going to see it too often because, it it's first of all, it takes a very skilled person to be able to code a match live. And if you can't code a match live, it's going to take a long time to go back through matches. Um, but I've checked it out, and it's amazing. So, for example, the... Data Volley guy for USA, Tyler, he sent me um, matches while they were out in Brazil or something for me to watch while I'm here so I can keep my brain going in the right way. And he had breaking down matches for me like three years ago. And I can go on and I'll I'll type in... Basically, it's like a filter. You filter out, okay, I want to do the left sider. I want to get his attacks. And I want to see his... Uh, setting or something like that right? so you go through and it'll filter out all those plays so right before you pass the ball it'll, it'll start that play and I can go through and watch an entire matches of just my attacking from the left side in like f- 5 minutes or less and then I can slow it down, rewind all that kind of stuff or if I want to watch another team I'm watching his attacking from the left or I'm watching his attacking from the right, from the right. When the left-sider goes back, I can watch that. You know, They get super specific with it. I can watch just serving of the other team. I can watch um, I mean, any skill, any skill that I want to do, and that's so huge because I can now break down other people's tendencies without watching an entire match. Oh, there, there's one thing I'm looking for. Instead, I can go straight to the match and watch exactly what I came to watch and get out of there, and that's huge when we're on the road. Because you're, wa- you're playing uh, tournament after tournament, traveling. You're not trying to spend all your time watching video. You want to get in and get out, uh, get the knowledge that you want. Because we have two matches a day sometimes, right? Or a lot of times. So you're, you're trying to absorb this information quickly, apply it in the match, and then forget it. And absorb the information for the next team. So if you have to watch matches and drag that, the bar across to try to find certain things, it's, it's brutal. US is, is playing a little bit of catch up in terms of um, utilizing all of this, and there's other countries that are utilizing it more, but that's the gist of it. It exists. There's some amazing um, coders that can do this stuff like crazy. I mean, they're writing like, probably like, a, I don't know, like full sentences of code that makes no sense to me during each rally, like live. And each X and Y and symbol means something. In the system. We're it's good with technology it's here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like coding um like the back end of a website, which I don't know how to do either, but it's crazy. And there's some seriously skilled people, but they're rare and obviously you need a budget to hire someone to do that.
0: Yeah. I I feel like that's just one of the things that would be awesome to have out in the public, and not just that you can break down the film, but to just have the numbers for it. Yeah. So, like I would love to see Triborne stats in transition from the right. Right. You know, how efficient are you from there? And like that's what we see. Like if you're watching the NBA finals, you know, you'll know like how good Draymond Green was on his friends' weddings wedding days right. while it was sunny in seventy five. We're,
2: we're not. But that, we can't uh... get
0: blocks right. <laughs> you know? Like there's we're so far behind in that, and I feel like that would be such a big step for Beach Volleyball to take is just to have stats. That's it. Just stats. Like every I mean High school sports. You look at MaxPreps.com; they'll have high school football stats one hundred times better than we do prof- professional beach volleyball. Right, like it's an Olympic sport, and we have no numbers. So if you guys want, if you guys want to see kind of the higher end um, volley,
2: data volley in the U.S., it's um, this guy Giuseppe Vinci. He's kind of the the leader of it. He's Italian. He coached. He actually coached me back on the indoor national team a little bit, or was our data volleyist when he was bringing it up but um it's called volumetrics so volumetrics.com i think it is and that's the system that that we're all using they're kind of ahead of the game and and spreading it worldwide so yeah check out volumetrics and kind of show you i'll show you travis they have, they have they broke down our matches on there and each player can sign in and whatever matches they uploaded for you is going to be on your dashboard your and you, kn- and you know I'm a
0: film guy, so this is, like, yeah, my dude. little heaven.
2: <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a film guy. That's why I love it, because, like, I can go watch an entire match and watch exactly what I want instead of seeing, like, the ball people, like, rolling the balls half the time and, and raking the courts and stuff.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, we are at our 30-minute time limit. Woo. So... Thank you to everyone who emailed in questions. And if you have any questions for us or just any feedback, tips, suggestions, whatever, you can reach us at sandcastpodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, if you want to answer the trivia question that we asked at the beginning of the episode, the Wilson Ball uh, giveaway will go to the first correct respondent. And that, again, is to sandcastpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to our podcast mama. Thanks, guys. For filling in for the sandbag. Good work. And thank you guys for emailing in. We'll catch you guys next week on Sandcast. We don't even need the chime It's like, it's like a sitcom.
1: Yeah.